one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Well, that turned out to be a pretty decent Super Bowl in the end, didn't it? You're very welcome to Monday's Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. You will have to bear with me if it takes me a few minutes to get cranked up today. My brain is still recovering from the sleep deprivation, Murph and Ken. And emotionally, I don't think I've recovered at all from what I witnessed. Uh, if 2016 taught you anything, it's never go to bed, as someone on Twitter said uh, last night. Uh, and uh, that was the case. Oh, why things changed dramatically. You're talking, you're talking Brexit. You're life, talking, uh, yeah. life moves pretty fast. A lot of things happen uh, now at 2 or 3 in the morning, as opposed to the traditional midnight 1 o'clock. Yeah, well, I think it was like around half 2. Well, uh, to be honest, you know, when you're in the game, I think... I wasn't really paying attention to what the act, the time in real life was when the crazy events started going down. Yeah, it was by a mile the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. Maybe the greatest comeback in sporting history. The previous biggest deficit in the Super Bowl was 10 points. Tom Brady and the Patriots clawed back a 28-3 scoreline. Mm. Scored two late touchdowns. Had to complete a two-point conversion from both of those just to get it to overtime. And from there, they finished the job. You enjoyed it, I'm sure? Well, on I... Turned it off at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Oh, no. I thought, well, this is done. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Well, you know, and the thing is that I didn't even go to bed. Right. Immediately. Okay. I kind of started, I was looking at, you know, YouTube <laughs> and and sort of um, what arsing watching, around. What, what were you watching on YouTube? This is a matter of interest. I watched <laughs> an interview with the 84-year-old Barry Goldwater. <laughs> 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 where he was talking about how his attitude towards gays in the military had changed. <laughs> uh, I asked the commander, "What do you do about what do you do about gays?" And he said, "Nothing." <laughs> so, so he his, he had changed. Anyway, I thought, well, that was interesting. Um, Would you not have had the Super Bowl on in the background even? Why didn't you just mute it, just in case you noticed some excitement? I just because I because I intend to go to bed, but then I was just kind of you know the way. Yeah. Uh, and so there's just one more Barry Goldwater interview you want to watch of course everyone knows that feeling Ken. and I went upstairs and I I was brushing my teeth this is a little while later and I looked at Twitter and I saw some inexplicable I, the tweets didn't make any sense ah! and then and then I went, wow <laughs> holy, holy shit I saw a tweet <laughs> I, I saw I a tweet from you yeah, yeah. I saw a tweet from you on because it came up in my Moments, you know the way. Obviously, they. Oh, you can. They oh, give. You. They, give <laughs> they, they give you. Uh, Do you have a special notification for every time McDevitt drops one? Owens moments. Well, no, they they just somehow it it it, it kind of uh, when you look at it uh, on the phone anyway, it kind of says, "Oh, while you were away or whatever," and it seems to shows you things that it thinks you're interested in for some reason. For some reason, mm. the algorithm thinks I would be interested in Owens tweets. Yeah. So I looked at, and, and Owen, Owen said something it's like, exact size, if he Ken. turned it off, <laughs> now might be a good time to turn it back on. And I, I, this was like 15 <laughs> minutes ago or something like that. So I ran downstairs, turned it on, and I saw Tom Brady uh, 
sort of on the ground, you know, kind of in a in a kind of a as though he was at evening prayer, and surrounding him. Uh, photographers taking pictures of him and people screaming things like, it's the greatest football game that's ever taken place. And I thought, oh, Christ. Oh, that's really Yeah, that's pretty good stuff. Really bloody good, boring. bloody good Goldwater interview though. So, you know, you got to take the rough with the smooth. There's lots more I want to get into from the Super Bowl and we will do that a little bit later on. But if you're listening to the show last week, you might recall that we promised to bring you some massive news on today's show. So I guess you should probably deliver on that promise. And big, big news, Simon, like this deserves a big new audio clip. I'm talking, if you can manage it, even bigger than the Wolf Hell drum roll sound effect, please. That might be, you know, aiming for utopia, but that is the way I am. I'm a little bit stupid regarding this type of thing. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. Oh, Richie, God. how are we feeling this morning? I just watched the goal set to the Titanic music and it really works. Oh, it really, really works. I think this is the most fun we're ever going to have in the podcast. I don't want to get into a war of words. I don't want to get into a war of words. It's good, isn't it? There's a guy. You might remember Alan Ferns. Did you I used remember to... Alan Ferns? Yeah, Ferns, yeah. Red hair guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Me yeah. and Alan Ferns had a fight once in the, in the Guinness uh, <laughs> Superville dressing room. Oh, Watling Street there. Fraser and Ali and another incarnation when they were both young and I guess I was too. <laughs> Reverend Jesse Jackson, you're very welcome to the show. Well, the few people resist publicly, he uh, cast a light that lit up our pathway. 30 million watched the fight. What? Yes, that's true. Um, I was better known in Africa than I was in it's Ireland. unbelievable. He threw a hard trial, I think at David Beckham uh, in the, is that right? No. So I had this weird thing where I was always the same weight as my age. <laughs> Holy shit, Kenan Murphy, it's U.S. Murphy. Right of the bar for U.S. Murphy, that's him. Kios, right? Upstairs at Kios. Kios, everyone, but that's right. fine. <laughs> oh, oh, my words. Oh. Tell us, talk us through that, Steve. I think we know what's happened, but talk us through it. Oh, just saying, Sig Thorson is the old. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. Fair to say anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. He was about 12. <laughs> Everyone in the city knew about him, but no one had seen him. Look how happy I was. What the fuck happened? No, really. What happened? What happened? It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's to persuade us of the world outside of that. That's why sports are important. There you go. Just a few of the great moments that we've enjoyed in the four years that we've been doing the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. Is it wrong that we've got the Reverend Jesse Jackson, Michael Parkinson, people like that talking about some pretty deep stuff and it's Ken laughing at Steve McLaren mm. that drew the biggest the, reaction in studio. The Sid James, uh, <laughs> Ken Early laughed that always gets me. Whether you've been with us from the start of all this or joined us maybe somewhere along the way, we've been absolutely blown away by all the support that you've given us so far. Not just by listening to the pod, but also getting in touch on all manner of nonsense, really. It's because of your interactions, our interactions with you that the show has been named as one of the top 10 podcasts ever by iTunes and has been the most listened to show in Ireland since we started. That's the end of the backslapping, don't worry. And we're super excited to invite you on the next step of the journey. Right, here it is. Next Monday, February 13th, we're launching our brand new Second Captain's World Service. This is going to be a member-led, completely independent online station that gives you the chance to listen to all your favourite Second Captain's podcasts every day of the week. So we're, taking, we're talking a minimum of six shows, all of them ad-free, the usual two on a Monday, then a podcast every day, Murph, every mm-hmm. day from Tuesday to Friday. So we the, can't bear to be apart from you. <laughs> the Irish Times Second, Second Captain's podcast becomes the Second Captain's podcast and you get it daily. And as well as the extra shows, you will get a beautiful Second Captain's induction pack. 
Ken, you've been spending most of your downtime creating high quality Jurgen Klopp and Eric Cantona doodles, I've noticed. Mm. Uh, second captain's member's badge, a first option tickets to live events, loads of other nice stuff like that. As I said, this will be led by you guys and membership will cost a fiver a month for everybody. If you're not in a position to get involved as a member, the two Monday podcasts, they'll be available in the usual ways. So whatever way you're listening right now. But to get the daily shows from Tuesday to Friday, we are really hoping that you'll join up. You see, I told you this was big news. Maybe should we have hit the wolf hell after all? Uh, I still feel it, it needs... Maybe, maybe <laughs> Well saved, Simon. Well saved. We'll never neglect you again, Wolfie. A lot of you have asked over the years if there's any way of delivering this kind of thing, podcasts every day, basically. This is how we're going to make it happen. Uh, The Second Captain's World Service is obviously a big departure for us. It's a really new form of independent broadcasting in the UK and Ireland. And we reckon this is the time to try it. Let us not forget the traditional way of doing things online. You know, building an audience, selling that audience to advertisers has given us the clickbait economy, which has driven the world totally insane and led more or less directly to President Trump. We have to win more! (laughs) Yeah, that guy. So that way has been tried. We're going to... Let's let's do it a different way. We're going to try another way of doing things. And we think this is how we can create more of the type of shows that we want to... You can't get over that clip, Ken. You just can't get over the clip. We want to create more of the sort of shows that we want to create, really, and that we think you want to listen to. So hopefully this is something that you feel similarly about because we're going to be relying on you to make it work. It's, It's all down to you guys. No pressure. Let's see how this goes. Anybody need a recap on this? I'll give you a recap. The Second Captain's World Service launching on secondcaptains.com next Monday the 13th. You're, you're the very first people to hear about this, obviously. We want to give you an early heads up. You can become a member on the 13th. You can get six podcasts a week, including daily shows from Tuesday to Friday. Now, if you're not in a position to join up, you will still be able to get the two Monday podcasts every week. And that's not all. I always wanted to say that. Yeah, go on. I'm not sure if I've ever managed to find an opportunity (laughs) to say that. We'll also be announcing further programming from the Second Captain's Stable. One of the presenters of our new shows probably won't surprise you too much, given that he spent most of 2017 trying to take my job. That's all I'm prepared to give away. All right, he likes dogs. He likes dogs. Okay. That's, That's all you're getting. Used to play for Millwall. Fine, okay. Tim Dennis Kale. Wise. <laughs> Tim Cahill is <laughs> guest presenting, uh, not guest presenting, but presenting a, a new podcast, Murph. Yeah. Mm. Uh, no, not Tim Cahill. I think you know who we're talking about. Before we get on with today's shows, though, I want to thank everybody at the Irish Times for all the support that they've given us over the last few years, ever since our very first podcast back in 2013. They've been an absolute dream to work with, really supportive all the way along. We've managed to put out almost 800 podcasts together in that time, and even though some of those episodes were besmirched by Owen's poems, most of them are pretty good, so... <laughs> Even taking a drink out the woods with old, old yeah. poems, the Apo- hit rate was pretty yeah, good. Apologies to the, everyone at the Irish Times for the Owens Poems episodes. <laughs> but other than that, thank you very much. Our close relationship with the paper will continue, by the way. Murph and Ken here still have their columns, obviously. Despite the fact that neither myself, Mark or Simon have ever been offered writing gigs, <laughs> it's not a problem. That, that's okay. There's only so much space on the internet. Of course. In, in the newspaper, you know. you know. But seriously, we do look if forward to it. If there was a way, old, I'm sure they'd have found it, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, listen. Listen, what can you do? <laughs> well, we do look forward to teaming up with our friends at the Irish Times again at some point in the future. All right, that's a lot to get your heads around. Email editor at secondcaptains.com or tweet us at secondcaptains. If you have any questions before next week on the Second Captains World Service, we're really excited about giving this thing a crack and we do really hope that you'll come on board. Now, on with the show. We're more than 16,000 people packed into Kingspan Breffney Park for Cavan's League opener against Dublin yesterday. It's the 30th win in, the row for, win in a row for the Dubs. Yeah. Uh, despite a few ridiculous scores from our guest today, Shawnee Johnson. Yes, uh, still showing an ability to ping him over from nearly impossible corner forward type angles, uh, Shawnee Johnson. <laughs> there was one, one point in the first half I saw in League Sunday, which... Yeah, like over the shoulder. It was, a, it was an over the shoulder job from the left hand yeah. touchline. It's weird. That, that's basically with the right foot. Yeah, yeah. It, it's basically where you have to kick points from if you're a corner forward now, because you don't get the you know the tap overs from like twenty one yards out in front of the goal, or if you do, you have to work bloody hard to get them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's uh, unfair as it may seem. They're basically the bread and butter of uh, top class corner forward. Johnny Johnston is. Still happily one of those. But yeah, like six, over 16,000. 16,300. Atmosphere looked brilliant. It wasn't what I was expecting, to be honest, when I turned on League Sunday for the first time yeah. in the spring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, uh, I was listening to the We Are Cavan podcast last week on because... You're never off that that's, bloody podcast. That's the kind of guy I am. Uh, and I did get the feeling that uh, they were rather excited about the prospect of the dubs coming to Well, they're back in Division 1 after an absence. Yeah, I mean, so, it's, yeah. it's been a long time since they were in Division 1, a long time since they felt like they were uh, close to uh, challenging at the top of the game. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was pretty cool. And the fact that they got Dublin first up is actually brilliant because, you know, there, if there was ever a chance they were going to catch them on the hop and capitalise on a bit of enthusiasm and excitement amongst their fans, then first up was the, the day to get them. Now we're... 
quite a bit into today's podcast. I think we've put this off for as long as possible. Let's talk Six Nations. Not even Nigel Starmer Smith can cheer. Not going to do it for me now. Easy one for you, Simon. Easy one for you. What the hell happened at Murrayfield? I want you to identify all the issues and have them all fixed before we welcome Jerry and Shane in. Well, you know the complacency thing, which was the main thing going on Twitter. I don't know if you guys were on Twitter during the game. And it's one of those things that really annoys sports fans. Um, the prospect that a professional sports person could take something lightly. I don't know if I'm alone in this and that it do- it actually doesn't annoy me that much if people aren't revved up from the moment the game starts. It especially happens in the first game of Six Nations if you're playing against a team who you normally beat, should beat, have a better record then. But, like, what's... You know, Ireland recovered from that. They did actually, at halftime, get back at the pace of the game, get back into the game, get in the lead. Um you know, you actually, if you're going to win a Six Nations, you probably need, or especially a Grand Slam, you probably need to win the odd game whilst being complacent. You can't be at full pitch for every single one of those games. Um, but unfortunately, Ireland are still a team where if they're off the pace a little bit, they lose games against inferior opposition. It's we can not never, that many games. We're, we're not like New Zealand or England yeah. where we can play badly and, and still get, get past decent teams. It's not that many games. Though. You're talking five games. One of them is against Italy, which we almost always, well, we do always win. So there's only one other opposition outside of Italy where you have to get yourself right in that way because all those other games, France, uh, Wales, France, England, that's not the issue. You're never going to be complacent against those. Is it that big an ask for us not to be complacent against the Scots? Well, we don't know for sure that that's what the problem was. I think in some ways they were thinking... the internet thinking... said so, Simon. You said Twitter said it's complacency. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, and I think there was definitely an issue where we underrated Scotland. I think Munster's two wins over Glasgow maybe was part of that, but... It also isn't the worst thing a sports person could do, especially when they recover it. But what's way more worrying and way more difficult, like Ireland are going to rectify the issue with complacency or with being revved up. But I don't know if they can fix the problems with their attacking game. All right, let's get stuck into this. Uh, the quicker we start talking about it, the easier it's going to be for everybody. <laughs> Jerry, how are you? Great, thanks. I'm sure you are. Beautiful, yeah, yeah. miserable Monday in winter in Ireland after yeah. Six Nations opening defeat. You're putting, a, be better. putting a brave <laughs> face on it. We will talk about Ireland's shortcomings, I'm sure, but uh, I, think so, I think it's easy enough to gloss over Scotland in this sort of situation. And, you know, we, we've been in that boat back in the day where a one-off win is a genuinely big deal. This is pretty sweet for the Scots. I saw Gregor Townsend retweeting Rogers' post uh, pre-match comments when he said, "I hope Ireland hammers Scotland today for the way they behaved in the week. Too mouthy, they can't back it up." I was brought up with the mentality that you work hard and talk about it afterwards. That's what O'Gara said. Uh, a triumphant retweet by Gregor Townsend. Do we have to give him that, Gregor, and the rest of Scotland? Yeah, I think so. Um, they uh, made most of their chances. Unlike Ireland, they started much better, mentally sharper, uh, defended better, looked better prepared, um, looked better, more switched on. Um, made the pitch look bigger when they attacked made it look narrow when Ireland attacked which Ireland contributed to it as well played close to the game line both in defence and attack um, outsmarted and us yeah like if Joe yeah. Schmidt had come up with that play that Vern Cotter conceived for the, the Dunbar try mm-hmm. we'd be talking about how much of a genius Joe Schmidt is yeah it's very rare that this, that Ireland do get a bit outthought or outsmarted I think the only other example I can really think of was probably Argentina in the World Cup quarter final yeah. um, there, there are a few common denominators with that day and this one the absence of Johnny Sexton and Jared Payne being noticeable. Um, after all, they were different defence coaches. So I thought that was a factor um, in the defensive alignment, which was much better in the second half. But most of all, I just thought that emotionally, mentally, they weren't quite switched on, whether it was the bus arriving late. I think more pertinently, it might have been... I can't believe that they were complacent because they knew what the Scots were going to bring to the parties. You, look, we should talk about the Scots. They took their chance. They deserved to win. They closed out the game very well. But I just thought maybe there was a lack of fear in that Irish performance. That they kind of the, the the edge, the fear, the edge that you would get when you play the All Blacks of South Africa or Australia just wasn't there at the start. Shane, we we have to kill this bus thing. I mean, a bus being ten or fifteen minutes late. Schmidt had mentioned it a couple of times. Yeah. what's the big deal? I'm using this as a talk, talk therapy session as well. Bear <laughs> with me. Uh, <laughs> super deflated. Um, the 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 bus thing is nonsense. It's uh, these things happen and. Um, 
you know, I don't. Even, I don't think they're using it as an excuse. So I think just put it to bed now. It's it's a nonsense. Schmidt, um, Schmidt, did, Schmidt did mention it though immediately afterwards on RT, and he mentioned it again. I think further into the post match deliberations. So it's something he did bring up on more than one occasion himself. Yeah, I think he brought it up, but I think he. I don't think he said it was a factor in the way that they, um, in how they came out to play. I think he was drawing the analogy with being late for everything um, on the pitch. Uh, maybe it was a subtle, um, it was a subtle way of saying, uh, of uh, excusing some of the elements of the first half performance. But um, you'd need maybe the bus to have stopped entirely and the guys to have to get out and put four new tires on it for uh, <laughs> to completely explain away the performance in the first half. Um, they just were uh, out thought. I think is the main thing. Um, I think, don't think they were at the. Um, at the pinnacle of their play as well, their tempo wasn't great. Um, I do think that they thought they were going to really bully a Scottish team, given the ball carriers they picked um, and the unsophisticated, unsophisticated nature and the way they played. Um, that a defensive system now has been causing problems. And we spoke to Sean Cronin um, last week, and he was telling us about um, Andy Farrell and how he has made the guys eager to want to tackle and excited about it. And I don't think the, that was an issue. The real issue was the alignment of their defensive line. And this was flagged um, in autumn and we flagged it. And if we flagged it, then you'd be sure that a coach of the quality of Vern Cotter flagged it also. And that was the case. They stuck their two wingers on um, right on the touch line, on both touch lines, and everybody else spread out in between. Ireland were far too tight about the uh, around the rook. They uh, collapsed down on the blind side a number of times. Um, some occasions, I think, it was over eagerness for work. For example, the first try, both Carney and Zebo were on the wrong side, couldn't make it back onto the open side again to cover. Left uh, Ringrose horribly exposed. Um, he was kind of in a no-win situation and just that big whiff um, allowed them to score a try with a man uh, to spare the outside. Uh, I think that uh, was an example of how Arlo Ray thought. And indeed, you brought up the Dunbar try there. I think that was a case of Ireland being pre-programmed, having done a huge amount of work on the video. And I know they do. And they would have watched that and they would have thought of all the different um, connotations that and and um, different type of line-out calls there would be, ex- uh, no, that Ireland have done, but not necessarily what they would do. And it looked as if they were preparing for something they'd seen already, not for something they'd never seen before. And if a 12 goes into the line, if you look at the body language in the front three guys in that line-out, um, they, uh, they barely re- reacted and they certainly weren't communicating to the fact that a 12 had come into the line at five metres from the line. I think that's a good indicator that something's going on. Shane, this narrow defence is bizarre because it's going on with different defence coaches, different back three players, different centres, different eras. I mean, how can such a... That's such a basic thing. I mean, we, you know, even an average pundit would spot that that's an issue and it's happening over successive teams, over successive years when we've been punished in a World Cup quarterfinal for it. I'll tell you where I think it stems from. It stems from... Number one, a fundamental in defence that you don't bleed around the heart. You bleed out in the periphery. So if you're going to get beaten, um, you get beaten out on the wings. And you need to keep that tightness to make sure nobody runs through the middle of you. That's a fundamental of, of rugby. And that's fine. The the next part or element that contributes to it is, um, are teams good enough to go around you? And if we force them out into those wide channels, that means you're going to take a number of passes. We have good line speed. Um, it's very difficult for teams to get out into those wide channels. Um, and so you don't need numbers out there. And the third one is we can stop the ball from ever getting out there if our line speed is good enough. Now, the problem with the last two tenants of that um, uh, that um, idea is that if you are playing against a really good team that have identified the kind of defensive system that you're put in place, then they can go after that. And if if they're good enough, if they have enough quality, and if they have enough ambition, and we saw it with Connacht, we saw it with Glasgow, we saw it with Scotland, um, then you can do it. And I think um, the idea of um, trying to bluff teams into not challenging their skill has been shown to not be effective if a team is really uh, on their game. Very often you can win a Six Nations game 
based on those defensive tenets that I, that I um, set out there. But if you really want to play, and if, for example, it's the last weekend of, of the, the Six Nations and we've seen teams more expansive during that weekend, then that ne- necessarily doesn't work. And you have to adapt your game a little bit more. That means being a little bit more spread out, being a little less comfortable. Um, around the you know the second pillar, third pillar, um, and fourth, and all the defensive system out, and uh, and coming up with with that greater um, um, alignment in midfield. I find that incredible, Jerry. That a modern coaching team would trust that the opposition's skill levels aren't quite good enough to get around us. Considering the way the game is going, considering the way Ireland, when they have played well, it's because their skill levels are good enough and we have scored wide tries ourselves and all our great performances are based on when our skill levels are great and to think the opposition or Scotland couldn't do that around us is really strange, especially when we punished, as I said, in the Argentina game. Um, but you, you talked about complacency there at the start of this piece and that is one issue, right? But I'm actually more worried by the final 10, 15 minutes when we did get ahead when there was a line-out spilled again, when there was two stupid penalties, I think one from Heasler, one from Paddy Jackson, uh, Connor Murray box kick that went too long, uh, I think there was another spillage by Ulton Delan. It, there was, it was just a Rob Carney pass out to Simon Zebo that went to touch. There was a lot of inaccuracy, there was a lot of wasted possession. If you go back and look at that game again, despite the lethargy and the sluggishness of the first half, I would say more lack of fear than complacency and all the technical flaws and mm. the, the defence being too narrow, which I think can be compensated for if there's good line speed. I think if you see Andrew Trimble when he defends on the outside channels, he comes up very hard and cuts. And we're in, we've been indebted to him in the past on numerous occasions when they've looked out, flanked out wide. And also, obviously, Jared Payne is the linchpin of the defence and a superb communicator and he wasn't there and I think we generally miss Jared Payne more when he's not there he's just one of those players that's just underappreciated for what he brings but you're right if you look at that game again despite all the sluggishness of the first half Ireland were then in a position to win the game I mean they had much more possession they recycled rucks 50 times more they made 12 line breaks to 6 and converted virtually none of those line breaks into scores I think one eventually led to the Keith Earl score the Paddy Jackson line break but otherwise the, the breaks foundered for a lack of support I thought Jamie who he's about a fine game was a little bit unlucky and went, he went for the offload to Gary Ringrose Ringrose had slipped just out of his vision at the last second but that being said you look at the game again and when Ireland are leading 22-21 they're all over Scotland for about the next five or ten minutes. They look like they should go on and win the game. And then that's, I think, the part that will really hurt them when they look back in the video. Despite all of that, they should have closed the game out and they were just so inaccurate with possession. They didn't protect the ball well enough and they paid for it in Scotland. There were penalties, one against Jackson for not rolling away and that enabled Naylor to kick them back. And I think you also met a Scottish team that have been invited into the game and given a chance to win a close match and they've had enough painful defeats, notably against Australia, and it's very often the way with teams. I think you might see France start winning games the next year or two that they've been losing narrowly. It's a, t- a process that some teams have to go through and they, they had the bit between their teeth and they were at home, big factor as well, and they closed out the game pretty well, you have to say. Yeah, see, the reason I bring that point up is I've seen a million teams start badly in the first game of the Six Nations, call it complacency or just relying too much on the coach or whatever it might be that causes a bad first half, and then an opposition that gets a blitz of tries. But then you're in a whole new game with 15 minutes to go, we're Ireland in the lead, and then they slip back to playing nearly worse than they ever did in the game. Yeah, but it's not like you're starting from zero, and it's unfair to characterise it like that, because those players were destroyed with tiredness. Don't forget that. You know, they had to drag themselves back into that game, um, and they dragged themselves back into the game in such a way that um, they, near, they never really um, stamped on, on Scotland. They, they never really destroyed uh, Scotland's uh, hope. They always retained that, and you always thought there was an opportunity at some point in the, later in that second half that Scotland were, were going to get and then take, and that's what happened. But those errors, those handling errors, simple errors that you, uh, you're you surprised at, that's because those players, they were fatigue errors very, very often. They're fatigue errors, and that's what I thought they were. Um there was a huge toll to be um, that was taken on Ireland in the way that they um, played in the first half, um, in the scores they conceded, but also in the way they continued to play. Not the um, not the more sophisticated plays, not looking for um, areas of weakness, but actually running into the most dogly defended areas that Scotland uh, had. Um, eventually breaking them down but there's a huge physical toil and that toil then uh, is, is manifested in, in errors later on in the game and that, and that's what I think we saw 
Another factor as well, Shane and Simon, I think, is the lack of impact from the bench. I mean, three of the bench weren't even used in the game. And they made relatively negligible impact. You compare that, say, to the bench of England with Haskell and Ben T and what they did in Twickenham. Not, not even negligible, negative in the case yes. of Tom, Tommy Bowe, for example, who did, just looked like he hadn't played any rugby in 18 two, months. Two penalties in 12 minutes, yeah. I think. Probably should have had a yellow. Is that a bad selection call? No, I think if you... If, Ireland need a very low injury profile. I was writing about this last week. You know, you go back to 2009, no injuries, zero injuries, only 22 players used. Hey, presto, a grand slam. And they, you need a low injury profile if you're Ireland or Scotland or Wales, more so than perhaps if you're England or maybe even France. And the ripple effect of having no Andrew Trimble, Peter O'Mahony, um, Sean Cronin, Johnny Sexton, Jared Payne, is that I think Ireland were still able to feel a good team but the squad was become the match day squad was becoming a little bit more threadbare, and I think this will be evidenced as well. I this think there's week, options at wing though, Jerry. There's yeah. options at wing, and Tierney O'Halloran could have been in the match day 23 in his form. I agree with you there for sure, and I couldn't really understand why Keith Earls was taken off because he's Ireland's best finisher probably now. Um, but that being said, I do think you'll see relatively few changes this week because the options are not now plentiful. Shane, your thoughts think, on Bowe? We actually have to address the Tommy Bowe issue as well because yeah. that looked like a nostalgia call from Joe on having him in in the team actually he's been caught from behind by Madigan uh, in a game a couple of weeks ago he hasn't been playing well I was very surprised that he was in the 23 Mm. he then was brought on for um, one of Ireland's best backs if not their best back uh, at the weekend I thought Earl's consistently looked sharp Um, he'd zip when in the first half when actually no players had it he was constantly a threat unless he had a niggle I don't know why he took him off and then um, Tommy just didn't look as if he was up to the um, pace of the game at all. You know, he had a, a negative a contribution. And you know, Tommy's been amazing for Ireland and been a cornerstone of many, many uh, wins. But it did smack a bit of an, um, a selection based on nostalgia. And uh, you know, we give Joe a lot of praise, but I think we ha- you have to flag up when when an error is made, and that was one on on, t- on those two areas. It's, it's probably the type of error he does make, Joe Schmidt, as a coach. This goes back to the idea that better the devil you know, even if the devil is a, a Tommy Bow who's not the same player as he was. Yeah, maybe. Um, but I, I think um, he paid a price for it at the weekend, and Ireland probably played a little bit of a price for it. You're right, the, Jerry's right. The, um, the subs that came on weren't impactful. Um, we, I flagged it up last week. I thought not having Sean Cronin available... Uh, diminishes Ireland's game in a big way and that proved to be the case um, Roy Best didn't have one of his best games at all and even when Roy is playing uh, at his top I think Sean, uh, uh, Sean Crown still adds something in a game such as that um, I think that was a decisive, decisive factor that he wasn't uh, that he wasn't there Alton Delan didn't look match fit either Shane did he? Yeah no again it didn't uh, seem to have a, a big impact either um, again I think, am I right in saying, Jerry, that if um, if one of the second rows had been injured, um, Donica Ryan would have started. He just what wasn't picked as a as a as a, um, a replacement. Well, that's not what we were told. We were just told that he had a niggly medial ligament injury that is going to rule him out last week. But of all the players ruled out last week, he's the likeliest to return this week. And he I was think the extra him, man. Yeah, and I think also. You take him out of the lineout equation, and also Peter Armani, who's by some distance Ireland's best back row option in the lineouts. It puts a huge pressure on Devon Tone and Rory Best. That was a big worry for me, and certainly, you know, you have to think that the Greys went after the Irish lineout. And when you when you discommode Rory Best lineout, you discommode his whole game. It's the bedrock around which his game is based. I thought he put in a huge shift for the eighty minutes he was there. But when you think of it, Ireland had four five meter lineouts. The first yielded a penalty. The other three were two turnovers and one beaten in the air. You compare and contrast that with Chicago, where I think three, if not four, of the five tries emanated from the success of the lineout close in. That was a, that hurt. Shane Connor Murray had a poor game, as did a lot of players. But it's just interesting that Murray was the focus of the build up last week. Uh, we talked a little bit about this on Thursday. Now he always strikes me as a particularly mentally tough player. I don't think there's, there's usually too much bother there. But is there any chance that maybe that got to him a little bit? The fact that he was being the, he was the focus of the the questions and whether or not he'd be targeted again, all these kind of things. I don't think so. I think you're allowed to have a bad game as a really good player, and um, it doesn't happen very often. It's a shame that it happened at the weekend. There was co- uh, contributory factors to it. Um, the ball presentation was appalling by Ireland. I thought the referee had a poor game uh, without whinging about him. Um, I thought the Scottish players were offside many times and they they knew exactly when to stop lying on the ball. So they had a, a number of grabs 
uh, and it was just enough to make it very difficult for the ball placement for Ireland. But Joe Smith would be devastated that the body fight, upper body fight on the way to ground, it wasn't strong enough, and that ball wasn't on the silver platter for for Connor. That uh, contributed to him being scragged and it seemingly be a little bit ponderous. And also, we didn't get any go forward ball really in the first half, even though our big ball par- carriers were were taking the ball up. So it was kind of instead of running forward to a rook, sometimes he's running backwards to a rook or, or certainly laterally. And that makes, uh, certainly doesn't allow for quick delivery or quick setup or, or continue the momentum going forward. So um, you are allowed to have a bad game. And and it doesn't mean that there's massive issues. It's just... I want, I want deeper reasons for it, Shane. I want, I want, I want it to be <laughs> well, about the I, hype from last week. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's not... I, I don't think psychologically that would have had an effect. Yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, I think he's well able to deal with that. I think he will probably p- play very well uh, at the weekend. I do think um, there's probably a little bit more onus on him uh, as a leader and in his role as a nine when um, Sexton isn't playing a ten. Um, that can add and that can, uh, can you know, complicate your own game a little bit so uh, your focus is on others and not uh, just on your own but I think uh, and those other contributing factors that I mentioned are, are the most important ones and and I think we really need to have a think about the way um, we attack because when in pressure situations we consistently and I hate harping on about this but it's true we consistently revert to one out runners and um, I th- it's too hard a way to win games and you can do it and it can prove successful but it's not consistently going to be successful and they, unless they change that this is going to continue and what was more depressing even than that for me was that when we did try that ball out the back um, the alignment of the player receiving the ball was wrong and I thought we'd got over that in the autumn, but it wasn't. It was it was like we'd seen from Leinster last year and from Ireland last year in the in the Six Nations. Uh, you know, the short ball, the man coming to to take the short ball and it goes behind his back. That has to be to a flat uh, receiver who can then put depth on it. But he was standing deep, and Scotland were just pouring through and made it very easy for them to tackle. There was one moment, Shane, that really hammered home to me, the lack of detail, the lack of invention in the way Ireland attacked him. It was Ian Henderson. It wasn't long before he actually scored his try, but he took a ball. He was actually the only man to the left of Conor Murray. There was four or five Scottish defenders there. He took it deep. He took it isolated. He took it static, and he ran and, you know, just about, you know, held his own, I think, and got the ball back. But it just, you know, Ireland were very near the Scottish line at the time, and the option was to go to Ian Henderson, who wasn't even ready for the ball, just about scramble it back. It's like, it was so basic when we got near their line, and uh, I thought it was a major, it was the most worrying thing, exactly, and maybe the trickiest thing for us to fix, and the thing that's going back furthest in terms of Ireland's deficiencies. Um, you mentioned Conor Murray there, and maybe that he was thinking too hard about Paddy Jackson, or that Sexton wasn't there, maybe taking too much on himself. Paddy Jackson, I mean, he scored a try, he had a beautiful moment where he kicked into the corner in the second half. How did you rate him overall, and do you think the alignment issues in attack are partly down to him? Um, I think he wasn't helped by his forwards. I think it's difficult to play when you're not consistently going over the gain line. That was the case in, in the first half, so you've got, um, you got to think that that made his, um, his job a lot more difficult. I thought he was adequate, um, given the trouble, some of the troubles that the Fords were having and that uh, Connor was having, um, he took the try brilliantly. It was a really smart line. Um, I think the line from Keane uh, Healy was really clever as well, doing exactly what you wanted from your um, from your substitute. He was the first one around the corner, running tight off Murray. That held that inside defender. Just uh, you could see his his body shape changed, and then the the defender one further out couldn't get in. It was really interesting to see the way Jackson identified that the spacing between the second and the third defender was just that bit wide, and he went straight forward. So from that, you know, there was a really impressive moment of of um, individual uh, talent from Jackson. But I never felt that he. Um, you know, he controlled the game or, or dominated the game at any point. But it's very difficult when you have the sort of performance that Ireland had in the first half. I think he was he, he was about par. That's what I think he was. He was about par for the course. Just one of the things, Shane, about the uh, Murrayfield press box seats is they're they're quite low down and they're behind the running track, but they do give a very good viewpoint of, say, the gain line and the advantage line and where players are in relation to that. 
And on at least five or six occasions, I turned to Liam, told him beside me, Jackson too deep, mm. you know, as, with a question mark. And he would nod and agree and say yes every time. I know it's easy in the cheap seats, Shane, but I just thought on at least five or six occasions, I thought he was just taking the ball a little bit too deep. Whether it was because of the reasons you all outlined, certainly Joe Schmidt himself thought that um, the lack of go forward on the gain line from the forwards was a contributing factor in that. But it ju- I just thought at uh, quite a few instances that Johnny Sexton would have taken the ball a little flatter. Yeah, well, I think that's consistent. That's a consistent part of the game. Now, bear in mind that few people in, in the world take the ball flatter than Johnny Sexton at ten. And when ball is slow, um, Jackson de- tends to de- uh, slip de- deeper in the pocket anyway. And when he does that, the, you see the problem is the alignment of the forwards is then becomes quite deep. Um, or oh, actually, it's, it's, and they don't come on with pace. They sort of rem- remain parallel with him. So there's no momentum going forward. And then that stops the secondary, the, after the next rook, that stops the momentum going forward as well. So it's kind of just a, pro- a circular process that keeps on, keeps on continuing. And the, the issue is that Ireland are quite good at retaining possession. So it becomes hugely energy sapping. You notice that Ireland would have gone across the field of taking, there's a point in the first half where um, uh, Sean O'Brien took it up and then um, Heaslip took it up and then CJ Standard took it up all one out runners um, with no forward momentum and that meant when the ball did come back to Jackson he's standing deep again he's not he's not um, pushing the opposition that aren't having to um, step backwards they're stepping forwards and to give himself a bit more comfort um, he always tends to, to take the ball a little bit deeper um, so his natural tendency to, to stand a little bit deeper, coupled with the fact that there was no forward momentum, meant that he was pretty passive through the whole game. Jerry, let's put a positive spin on this. Mm-hmm. We got our bonus point. Yeah, the first ever bonus point no, in the history of yeah, Six Nations no, in history. Exactly. No other team looked very good. Mm-hmm. Not like England looked good. Wales struggled as well. Neither of those teams won a bonus point. Mm-hmm. Is the championship still on? I think technically, mathematically, it's just a little bit more on than it would have been under the old two points for win system, simply because now Ireland still have 20 points to play for. Yeah. And if you win a few and you get a few bonus points, you certainly should be still alive going into the last weekend. Um, but the caveat to that is that you probably shouldn't be losing to Scotland if you're going to win the title, and it certainly gives them no margin for error. Um, you'd like the injury profile to improve. Um, I do think Ireland will play an awful lot better in Rome next weekend. I do think Wales probably left a bonus point behind there, given Italy were so poor. Um, but I do think Wales will improve. They generally are slow starters. They are a good tournament team, mm. whether in World Cups or in Six Nations. They proved that four years ago, which Ireland can take hope from. Um, Wales lost their opening game at home to Ireland and won the championship, will win the next four games. Uh, but I certainly think England will get better. I think they started very slowly in part because their injury profile, but also the Rustins, Joe Marler, Dylan Hartley, others not having played much rugby lately. I think they will only get better. And I did think France would be interesting. I do think they've improved mm. and I think they've picked big, strong, but powerful ball carriers. Louis Picamot looks fitter than he since moving from Toulouse to Northampton, which tells us much about fitness levels perhaps in the top couturs. And they've got certainly power out, out wide in the two Fijian wingers and Scott Spedding, who surprised me at full back. And I think they they look a, be- a better team now than they did at any point under Philippe Saint-André. So we're probably not going to do it. Shane, just to make you feel a little bit worse, I, I hate to do this to you. you, have described this as basically being a cancelling session, but I don't know if you saw Gary Ringrose's comments during the week about his early Six Nations memories. I think my earliest Six Nations memory would be the Gervin Dempsey try against England in 2004, or the one at Croke Park when Shane Horgan scored against England. Jeez, I'm going back now. Says <laughs> <laughs> God, that's fresh in my memory. That's really, that's literally a couple of years ago. Back into the mists of time there from Gary Ringrose. <laughs> I've been so kind about Gary Ringrose. You know, he's, I, we were going to need a big performance from him in Italy. Huge. <laughs> or else he's gone from the team. Isn't Shane brilliant? Jerry, excellent. Cheers. Thanks a Thank you. Thanks, guys. Just a crying big baby. But you cannot call it a player a baby. Coach! 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 This is the game you wanted a victory, boy. I didn't have a weapon. I want victory for every game. Where do you think you got it all wrong today? Coach! This is the game you wanted a victory, boy. I didn't have a weapon. Well, it's just the nervousness. You look frustrated on the Coach. pitch. This is the game you wanted a victory, boy. I didn't have a weapon. You wanted victory. Well, I want that victory. Which is the game you want that victory, boy? I didn't have a weapon. Where do you think you got it all wrong today?
won against them in the Premiership, and we never said they are baby. He's just a crying big baby. You cannot call a player a baby. Got an email here from who is it from? David Murphy, who has emailed editor at secondcaptains.com with the subject line "Let us face the darkness." Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> God, he's a real uh, ray of sunshine on this Monday morning. Dear lads, just a small request prior to your analysis of Ireland's catastrophic loss to Scotland. Well, catastrophic. Because we, yeah. <laughs> I, I actually, I want to talk about how catastrophic or otherwise this loss is, but we, we, I'll, maybe David, maybe David uh, uh, strikes to some of what I was about to say. Well, do you want to say it? No, let's listen. Okay. Uh, David uh, has earned his precedence. There's nothing more irritating than being told as an Irish fan as I've just been after listening to radio and by Joe Schmidt, that there is still a championship there for us. I think it's much healthier psychologically to front up and face the emotional carnage, emotional carnage head on rather than fooling ourselves into some sort of belief that there's still a chance of some kind of a consolation for blowing an historically rare chance of a Grand Slam. The Grand Slam is over and therefore so is the season. Get used to it. The gruesome realisation of this missed opportunity is even more devastating when one considers we only have two more chances of a Grand Slam with one of the world's best coaches and also the fact that this loss also means we still, that's right, still can't deal with the tag of favourites going into major competition. This infuriating Irish disease still plagues us clearly. Only one Grand Slam from teams with Grand Slam potential. Did this guy write the Trump inauguration speech, by the way? (laughs) Only one Grand Slam from teams with Grand Slam potential for the last 16 years is a miserable record, so please don't sugarcoat it or try to make us feel better. Let us confront the darkness from David Murphy. Sounds like a man who had his heart set in a Grand Slam. David and a championship really is, is <laughs> irrelevant. Why is, I don't I just can't understand his obsession with Grand Slam. I'm, I'm with you on this one, Yeah, Ken. I'm with you. Th- right, thankfully, You're still a triple crown man. It's like a, it's it's a, a competition. six-team group. Yeah. Finish yeah. up the group and you win. That's, it, that's what it is. It yeah. is great to win all matches, and there is a certain cachet to that. But thankfully, we dropped that obsession with the Grand Slam a few years ago and got better. We've gotten a lot better under Joe Schmidt at understanding that you can lose a game and still win a championship as we've done twice mm. by playing smart and good rugby for the rest of the competition. There's really no point playing this competition if you're going to give up after one game every time. Yeah, yeah. and the, this isn't a, a, a competition where we're the best team in it by a mile and we've blown a grand slam. This idea that we're going to like that we'd wander out and win these five games and quite frankly if we don't it's a complete disaster. I mean, what? where are we getting that? I of course mean, we are. Sure, Wales away is a gimme. Yeah, like... <laughs> Honestly, it's like well, if, you know, oh well, it's an odd numbered year. So we've got England and France at home, so that's two wins. <laughs> then we have to go to Wales. I suppose you know we should beat them. We keep, we we always beat them. Avoid the banana skin there. Yeah. So then, as long as we don't you know slip up against Scotland and Italy, which would be an absolute shambles. I mean, by the way, this idea that having win it? you know this every second year thing, France are now you know not at the level of Wales and England. Well, yeah. they might be this year, actually, but in the past few years, they haven't been. Yeah, so. 15 years ago, it, you know, it was a big deal to have England and France at home uh, and the other three plebs away. I mean, you know, say in like 2004, 2005, that's when it was a big deal. When Wales won the Grand Slam in 2005. Yeah, exactly. Like before the, they say when we got good, but before Wales came from nowhere to win Grand Slams, as mm. they've annoyingly been doing for the last 12 or 13 yeah. years. Like, like, I don't, I don't, if, 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 the way it was being built up was Ireland against England, Grand Slam decider, final, last day of the season. I mean, yeah, Grant, that would have been great. But I don't think, there's no guarantee England are going to be going into that game having not lost. And there's still every chance that Ireland will be picking up bonus points along the way. And that game will decide we won't the play that badly. If, We won't play that badly again. Yeah, if we beat England on the last day to deny them a Grand Slam and win the Six Nations Championship. David here is thinking, well, he, he, he's given up on it for, like six weeks before that even happens. He's, I mean, to he's, me that- he's right about one thing, that the Grand Slam record is disgustingly bad. But I think it's becoming less and less relevant over the years, and especially with the bonus point thing, it has become more and more just a mini-league. Only disgustingly bad, not catastrophically bad? Discussing you're going to stick with that. Yeah. Fair enough. The Irish Times second captain. Sorry, David, but David Murphy sent a, took the time out to send that email in, and he's just been destroyed by everybody. I thought Listen, one person might agree with him. He's, he's got I just think David needs to, you know, unplug. Just well, just face up to the to the reality that the future is going to take place, mm. and it's time for him to get over it and it focus up. on the four remaining matches. <laughs> because you know what else can you do? Like I mean, everybody's saying. With, let's withdraw from this competition. Send out the under twenties. Give them some much needed big big game experience. I mean, you know, it's a, so we lost the game. So you try and win the next game. What's on the menu for the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast? Can anything tasty and delicious? 
Yeah. <laughs> so nice they treats. have asked for that, really. Sorry for talking over your back. Oh, the World Cup. It's really bad for me. Yeah, yeah, but having said that, Sorry, I Cluffy. want to be like me. This is on preschool. You don't know what you're talking about. I don't, don't like it either. I don't know why I started doing it. We'll say we'll, we'll never do this. It's now. really annoying as well for this. What you doing yeah, now? Yeah, he's talking. Go ahead, Ken. Well, we're going to talk on a little bit about uh, what's becoming an increasingly tense and fraught atmosphere in the Premier League. A lot of pressure, a lot of uh, managers uh, having, a, having a tough time. Sam Allardyce, Claudio Ranieri, Jurgen Klopp, Arsene Wenger. Um, these men are all going through hell. They're all miserable. Right yeah, I've, I've pictured each of them as you went along there again. Four miserable looking fellas. <laughs> it's utter hell for these men. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, uh, with uh, some of our top correspondents. Sounds good. I saw Desi Dolan on RTE last night saying that people used to go and see the dubs in the hope of watching them getting beaten. Now they just go and watch them to follow them and see some good football because <laughs> they just don't really lose matches anymore. There were more than 16,000 punters at Kingspan Breffney Park yesterday. Obviously, plenty of those people were there to see their own side too. Shawnee Johnson was on the field. Shawnee, safe to say that Cavan people are pretty excited to see you guys back in Division 1? Yeah, definitely. There was a um, brilliant crowd in Breffney Park yesterday, I suppose. I think that they said it was about 16,000. It, it certainly felt like it was more up on 20,000, to be honest. So, um, you know, first game in National League, I suppose the dubs coming to town brought a lot of excitement and they bring a big following themselves. And it was a very good cabin crowd there as well. So um, it was a great game to start off the, the National League. I saw your manager afterwards, Matty McLean, and was saying that it, it felt more, to him more like an Ulster Championship game and that that should stand you guys in good stead. Yeah, well, you'd be hoping that any time you get to play, I suppose you're playing the best team in the country yesterday. Look, that can only bring you on, and we're, you know, that's probably showed us the level that um, the top teams are at, and that's where I suppose we're aspiring to get to as well. And any time um, you get to play those teams, you know, it's a great, I suppose, great training session. You're trying to improve all the time, and as I say, trying to reach that level. And obviously, you know, they've been. Um, winning a lot of silverware over the last few years and they're a phenomenal side so it just shows us the, the level of where the best team in the country is at Yeah, I mean what do you take from uh, a game like yesterday? I mean there must be an understanding even within the panel itself that, that this will be a steep learning curve over the next eight or, eight or nine weeks Yeah, of course but it's, look, it's one that we're really going to enjoy I suppose and um, I suppose it's why you, you, you play football and why you try and um, you know, work hard, I suppose, off the field to, to play in games like yesterday and, you know, big buzz around and, and um, playing against the likes of the Dublins and all these teams that we're going to be playing over the next few weeks. And um, Look, we know it's not going to be easy and um, we're down a few players as well, which, which probably doesn't help our, help our case. But, look, we're going with what we have and, you know, things are, you know, we're training hard and working hard and um, trying to get up to that level. And we know we need to learn quickly to... Um, to stay in, in this division and we have another big game again next week but um, look, we're, look we're all enjoying it looking forward to it and I say it was a great opportunity and experience for a lot of our players to play Dublin and Breffney Park yesterday we're hoping that will make a, you know stand them in good stead going forward Is it difficult not to buy into the the aura around Dublin at this stage when you play against them they've been so so dominant so good in the last few years Well I don't know if it's difficult like there is an aura and uh, you know they've and they've created that by their success, I suppose, and, and fair play to them. You know, they're, obviously what they're doing um, is phenomenal, and I think that was 30 games unbeaten yesterday. And <clears throat> it's going to take a good team to, to beat them, and um, it'll take a team very well organised and very well set up to, to push them to their limit. And, you know, they're, they're obviously going with the mantra that they're going to try and win every game and the, the Wundo Burn Cup as well. Um, and then they were able to just integrate maybe 12, 13 new players in yesterday. And, um, they're you know they're on the road a long time I suppose under this management team and they've had great success so they're obviously extremely confident and uh, uh, look fair play to them they're, they're an exceptional team and it was great to get the opportunity to play against them yesterday and um, because whoever beats Dublin this year will 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 win silverware as simple as that. When you're playing against them, Shawnee, is there any? Are they doing anything vastly different in, in the, over the course of a 70 minute game than any other team is doing, or is it just they're doing the basic things a little bit better? I think I was actually trying to sit down last night and, and think to myself, what are they doing different than, yeah. than other teams? But I think that they do the basics very well. They, you know, they don't bring the ball into the tackle. They, they move it around very quickly. And then you know, they try and bring you into the tackle. And look, they're very physically strong. 
Um, you know, we ran down a, a couple of alleys yesterday, and they'll take the ball off you. And you know, if you if you give them ball and counter attack, they'll they'll break a taste. Their athleticism is very very good. So, you know, they tick all the boxes in terms of what you want from I suppose modern day Gaelic teams now, where they're you know they're physical and they're big. Their athleticism is excellent. Their skill set is brilliant, and then they have you know huge scoring power as well. So there's very little that they don't do, to be honest. <laughs> Uh, we ha- we have this image maybe on the back of the, the under twenty one successes of recent years that Cavan are still like a young side, you know, a coming side. But are are you thinking more now about this team being at its peak, you know, in twenty seventeen right now? You don't feel the the year is slipping by, waiting for good under twenty one teams to become good senior teams. Yeah, no, I think it has to be. You know, it has to be now, and there has suppose been a building process over the last few years, and um. But look, there has to come a stage where you say, right, okay, we've had this under-21 success whenever it was, and now we, you know, we suppose you want to have senior success and getting to Division 1 will hopefully help that process and the fact that you're getting the experience of playing these very, very good teams. And like I said earlier, seeing where you're at and seeing how you can compare to... You know, we're going to be playing the top six, seven teams in the country over the next six weeks, and you know that will tell us, I suppose... Um, you know, basically where we're at coming into championship preparation and, and so and so on. So, you know, that's what we're looking forward to. But as you say, look, we can't keep going and saying, um, we're we're building, we're building. It has to become has to be now and you know, two thousand seventeen is, is the year we're looking to try and make a breakthrough and have some success. Yeah, well listen, best of luck with the the next few months, Shawnee. Great to talk to you. Thanks a million. Thanks very much, lad. Thank you modern day coaching. What is it all about? Paralysis by analysis. Infiltrated by a load of spoofers and bluffers. Fellas with earpieces stuck in their ears. Psychologists, Clyde Woodward, statisticians, dietitians, and as Mick O'Connell alluded to, God save us. I said earlier I wanted to come back to the Super Bowl before the end of the show, so let's do that. Just to say, by the way, this is all just by way of preamble to our US Murph chat on Thursday. Mm-hmm. US Murph did make it to Doug and Lisa's party, I believe, Murph? Yeah. I, it, he The way he was talking on uh, last week on Thursday, did strike me that he was definitely would have left at halftime because he was on the fence about staying for the whole okay. game anyway. Well, I don't know. He was there knows? though. He was there to see Lisa go, get into the depths of hell as the mm. country's biggest Patriots fan. So we'll see if he stuck it out for the rejuvenation in the second half. Brady, by the way, was having an absolute stinker. Tom mm. Brady before he decided. I think I'll just go and win this game now. Brady's not to everyone's taste. We've talked about a few of the few of the less palatable aspects of his personality in recent times. Yeah. Pretty good sportsman, though, Murph. Bloody good sportsman. Yeah, he, he's, uh, he is a good quarterback. <laughs> That's my hot take, old. The, uh, uh, people were getting on to me on Twitter saying, oh, he's, you know, he's, he's not playing that badly. It's because receivers aren't getting open. He's not getting any protection. And he's, he's, there's too much pressure on him on each throw, which was true to an extent. But there were also a few simple 10, 20-yard catches that he missed. Uh, 10, 20 yard throws I should say mm. that he missed and very basic bits of execution that he failed to execute until he decided I'm going to go and win this game now yeah well I mean you're jump. you're bringing that up uh, just to emphasise how ridiculous how ridiculous it was that he would then subsequently go and do everything that he did in the second half and in the fourth quarter in particular as if the other mistakes just hadn't happened precisely yeah and that's like that's the it's that mental switch that a player like that a sports person like that can make which is impressive Roger Goodell the NFL commissioner has to ha- hand the trophy to Robert Kraft and Tom Brady and Bill Belichick mainly just to Robert Kraft actually the owner of the Patriots at the end of the game this is amazing because Kraft is a one time best pal of the NFL commissioner Roger Goodell until the commish goes after Tom Brady Mm-hmm. Oh, on the deflated footballs incident from a couple of years ago gets Brady banned and therefore becomes a sworn enemy of everyone connected to the Patriots <laughs> I don't know if you saw this Goodell was mercilessly booed so you stayed so you yeah you started watching from post-match well I started I started watching it because then they, they were showing replays yeah. of key moments and the mm-hmm. touchdowns and the catch and all this kind of stuff um, and then obviously the trophy presentation which I always think is you know it's, it's always a surprise to me regardless of how many times I see it to see them giving the trophy to this old man yeah. Uh, which is, you know, what they do. Your organization, and they give it to, like, the owner of the... It's just yeah. it's something I really dislike about the, the, that. Well, the whole pageantry around that is weird. The walk-up that Michael Stay Is it Stay on a stray, and I always get it, get it mixed up. The stray yeah. He's walking through all the Patriots as a former Super Bowl winner with the trophy. They're all kissing it. He's all saying, you mother-effing believe this. I think not realizing he's there's a lot of microphones around. <laughs> uh, you you, mother, you uh, mother-effing deserve this, uh, I should say. But, yeah, they get it up there, so the... 
presentation is happening. Goodale gets booed by the Patriots fans, says a few nice things to Kraft through gritted teeth, disappears then. Kraft gets on the mic, tells the Patriots, fa- Patriots fans, I should say, that he told them two years ago that that Super Bowl was the sweetest win. But a lot has transpired during the last two years. And I don't think that needs any explanation. But I want to say to our fans, our brilliant coaching staff, our amazing players who are so spectacular, this is unequivocally the sweetest. I really wish Goodell had stayed up for that. Just stood there right beside Kraft. Yeah, uh, he had to get out of there. He had to get out of there. Uh, I mean, it was ridiculous, the, boo- the booing that was going on. I mean, these people are totally shameless. <laughs> I mean, in a, you know, you just won the, the thing. Maybe everyone can just agree that, you know. At, uh, but it's kind of the sweetest part of it all, though. Is, is that gloating over your yeah. fallen enemy. Yeah, yeah. Well, there was, they did do some wrong things, you know. There was definitely wrong on their side. You know, Roger Goodell, maybe there was wrong on his... Maybe everybody broke the rules. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I suppose they were, they were, they weren't going to let him forget it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, clearly he had, to, he had to get out of there as quickly as possible. I mean, that's a, that is a incredibly embarrassing situation. I mean, I've, I've seen it happen. seen it happen to top people, own top men like uh, Bertie Ahern at Croke Park. Uh, or was it, was it Croke Park on Sand Road? Sepp Blatter has faced a couple of these situations over George, the years. George Osborne at the Paralympics. The Brazilian president. Dilma Rousseff. Yeah. Um, Not an uh, easy situation for the person in that position. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, and, and especially when, I mean, that was, in most of those cases, when they appear on the sort of stadium big screen. In this case, he was actually the the centre of the well, it did. Yeah, it happened to Bladder at the uh, <laughs> and Howard Webb at the World Cup final in, in South Africa. <laughs> Bladder, you know, holding the the World Cup and the whole place, Spanish and Dutch fans united, <laughs> united to attack. So Bladder, I'd say it was probably only Patriots fans booing Roger Goodell, but. Yeah, I think so. If you want any more information on the Second Captains World Service, just email us, editor at secondcaptains.com or tweet us at secondcaptains. That's launching next Monday, 13th of February. If you happen to skip through the early bit of the podcast for some reason and you're wondering what the hell I'm talking about right now, shame on you, first of all, for missing the early bit. It's a real bullshit move, by the way. Get yourself back to the intro, have a listen there, and you should know all you need to know. Right, football podcast coming out a little bit later today. Thanks, Murph. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Owen. Owen, you're amazing. You're amazing. Thanks, Luke. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those.